Welcome to another edition of the Untold Patriot Stories podcast with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher, where you'll hear stories told by the players and media members. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Untold, the Untold Patriot Stories podcast. We have a special guest tonight, Matt Chatham. Uh, three-time Super Bowl champ with the Patriots. So, Dave, we're going to get uh, kick off this podcast, and I'm going to kick it off to you to get it going. Hey, Matt, uh, thanks for being on. Uh, appreciate you being here. Um, we thought, as we've, we've mentioned, we're going we're to talk about uh, camp and what our predictions are for this year and what we might be seeing. So, from from my thought, uh, you know, the Patriots have two stars on this team right now: um, Matt Judon and Ramondre Stevenson. Um, probably agree with that, that they're kind of the, the ones that people look look for at this point. So I'll start off with Judon. He just got his contract uh, renegotiated. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think they overpaid for him or, um, you know, do you think his locker room value holds more more weight or what are your thoughts on the Judon re-signing, I guess? There have not been a lot of uh, really big ticket at big uh, cost sort of assessment uh, positions that have really, really flourished in the last 23 years of, of Patriots times. Stefan, and what I mean by that is, you know, you don't usually go in free agency to get a left tackle, right? You don't usually go in free agency to get your air quote shut down corner. You don't usually go in free agency to get, you know, the positions you pay at the top of the market for, you know, premier pass rusher is kind of that. And, mm-hmm. and when they got Matt over from Baltimore, he made a great number. I mean, he was, it was a market number uh, for the the first chunk of that contract. So to adjust it, uh, you know, and, and do it amicably, it was, there wasn't a lot of tension mm-hmm. in this. It didn't seem, I think Matt did a great job of, of sort of explaining, you know, I'm, if this hadn't happened, it's not going to change my outlook. I wasn't going to perform any differently or, or be involved in a differently. Um, I guess as a, the former player angle in me kind of once loves seeing that, right. That it's sort of like a meeting in the minds, but in the absence of tension and uh, for someone who's earned it. Right. And I, I think the one thing that hits guys a little bit is just that, you know, it's a scary game. Right. And it, it, Matt has made a ton of money already. <laughs> if Matt never, if Matt never played another down, he's, he's, he's good for life. But uh I think there is a, a sense in the back of guys' heads who are those highest of high achievers that like a little better insurance each time they go back out there and put it on the line and, and play at such a high level. So they found a number and a place and really more structure as, as much as a number to where everyone was comfortable. And then, you know, you go on forward and just play football, like Matt said. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good point. I I I mean, I the numbers that we were all speculating, I think if they were going to give maybe a three to five million dollar bump, it sounded like you know, they guaranteed another 12 million. But my, my question to you, certainly as a former linebacker too, was more posed, I guess, you know, Ted Johnson's been talking. He's not real impressed with him. We had Roman Pfeiffer on the, on the um, program. He didn't have give the Patriots linebackers great marks. And then we recently had Christian Arcan on and he was talking about, geez, what can we do to incentivize this guy from week 10 afterwards? So yeah, while he's been great and I love the pass rushers, um, you know, part of me thinks maybe we did overpay for the for the performance he has in a full year. I just, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I, I don't think that way. I think in part because y- you kind of have to look at 
the number he is going to now get absence incentives, mm-hmm. they were going to cut him, right? So the numbers right. he was going to – basically just it just takes that sort of stress component off the, off the table. And I think guys that have been in a situation that have produced as much as he has, you kind of like removing that. Why, why, why put the, the sort of uh, Damocles sword kind of thing over my neck when I hit at that number every year, I'm not a guy who you got to worry about missing six or eight games. I know people make a big deal of sort of sack numbers changing. That's really two years ago, less so last year. But I don't, I don't see it that way. I, the the thing I love about Matt is he has sort of come in as this high dollar uh, free agent guy who has over the course of a couple seasons really moved to the front of the room where he's as big a voice as maybe a dev uh, just leaving the room was, right? And those kind of personalities that uh, aren't afraid to be themselves, like a Mike Vrabel of old, uh, Rodney and Dev, who, you know, had a big personality, has an opinion, uh, will share it, will be self-critical, but will be sort of uh, someone who can give pushback on Bill, but that Bill respects inherently. Those guys are incredibly valuable. And I think they were on the cusp there of losing Matthew Slater as well. I mean, he made a decision not to retire and come back in the room. Uh, when the room thins uh, with those kind of personalities, I think it's extra important to not just retain the ones that 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 are sort of, you know, in a, in a great position and have that kind of personality and sort of MO to be able to fill those spaces. You're not just asking them to go do it. You're asking them to do it with a little more security. So he's the right guy at the right time. You have to look at who they've also added here. And, you know, like you look at Keon and through the draft, it's a big, versatile, could play all four spots kind of guy. Um, Josh Uche is getting close to his first big number where, you know, he's going to be looking for a new contractor at some point. Matthew Judon's role in this is to kind of be the be the Willie, right? Be the Willie McGinnis. And I, I think he's really shown that he can take the arrows, he can give them back, he can be a charismatic leader. And you don't like to quibble over a guarantee that ultimately he's going to hit a final number for something like that. Too important of a person. They took care of him, took it off the table. Um, I, I think it was the right move. Good insight. That's why I asked. Okay, thank you. <laughs> But with the uh, you know last few years we got seventeen game schedule and now you know the Patriots uh, have three preseason games that really nobody plays so you know what what's it like going from you know in the back in the day you probably didn't have six uh, exhibition games but uh, you know what it was like to practice in pads back in your day and now you got to extend their health for seventeen or eighteen weeks. Yeah, Bob, I, I always have to remember that I can't use my frame of reference about what it takes to get to game day and what it takes to get, you know, throughout the throughout the course of camp and the, throughout the course of a season because I, we did not – we had to go through a different gauntlet than they did, and the things that it required of your body to be able to go through that gauntlet was different. The practices are so much lighter. Uh, the notion of sort of – hardening your body through camp the notion of really going through sort of a stretch where it's almost pseudo injury stage (laughs) to try to flush repair regenerate grow and get ready for this long run that's really what's about i wanted to have 100 200 big collisions and would you know from from you know basically nine and seven periods uh, through training camp through the the the, the cross-team stuff, if you happen to do it with another organization, right. uh, through live preseason game context, I got to game one, week one, and I'd already had, you know, a, a season's worth uh, of big, big collisions. 
Now the, the guys just, they don't see that kind of contact and practice. And the, the, the goal of it is a little different. The goal is sort of to stretch, <laughs> to, right. yeah. to prepare, but above all else to arrive. <laughs> you know? So yeah. there's, there does have this feeling. And I mean, it, it can sound a little bit like the old, uh, you know, like the old, uh, we walk to school uphill both ways kind of thing. <laughs> and it's, I, I don't, I know that if I go down this road, it can sound a little like that. It's, our way wasn't better. Our way wouldn't work for what they're trying to deal with. Their way wouldn't work for what we had to go through. So it, it's it's not as if one is better. They had to adjust because the season got different and because the practice schedule doesn't allow you to do the same thing. So I get it, right? And I, and I you know, for 12 years of, you know, covering it with Nesson and being out there at practice, I kind of learned to stop and hold my tongue and bite my lip yeah. And not say, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen him do it, you know, you know, or I saw, you know, and there's just not enough camp reps, you know, just, you know, and this is this is really most pertinent for the last three or four years. Oh, yeah. you know, it just he didn't look good. We haven't seen enough of them. That's a, a reason for worry. That's got me concerned. That stuff is nonsense in today's NFL. And I don't think any analyst that goes down that road is doing a good job. So I think it's really important to evaluate now with sort of now eyes and there are there's a litany of examples of guys who have taken incredibly light camps yet these guys go to sort of their paid trainer they live somewhere else for six months they're training for a different kind of thing to just arrive at week one healthy and then to live in you know some sort of one of those uh oxygen tanks you know sleep at night <laughs> repair their bodies cryo the cryo cryo it's chambers just, and all. cryo it's just an entirely different world so yeah. you know I, I i can't uh i can't critique it through with the lens that i have but what, so, what about the mindset though i mean the mindset i mean dave talks about you know judon maybe or you know cole strange hitting you know the nine or ten eleven week and they're like oh, they're worn out i mean you know, that whole process of being up for every single game for three months. Yeah, I just think it's very difficult to sort of explain this. And it's also pretty easy, I think, to forget it. And it all kind of comes flashing back. Uh, and that's the pain that you feel in a season. The most sort of dire circumstances, at least personally and physically, isn't coming out of a game. It's walking back out on Wednesday when you're just like, oh, dude, I'm not repaired yet, right? It's not bounced back. So I don't think they walk around with nearly, and again, so I, I, I led with I think, so I really don't know, right? But I just, knowing what the practice schedule regulations are, knowing what the CBA regulates, what can even be done within those practices, the sure. time constraints, there's no, hey, we didn't get it right, we're going for three hours. There's no, you know what, this has been a bad stretch of three or four weeks of run game we're going full pads all three practices each week we're going to go long i mean like you just you don't have that kind of autonomy you're not even allowed to do it right, right. so i don't think the mental thing you have to get over it, it's pre-prescribed you you know that the cba has dictated what's going to be the practice there's no punishing me with uh right. with a three-hour full pad practice you can't right so and that's where the real dread comes from right that's where the it's not, oh my gosh, after week 10, 11, week 11 game's going to be hard. It's week 11's practices. It's week 13's practices. It's week 15's practices. The games are awesome. The games are easy. And I think when practices are light, the games should get easier as well. Yeah, cool. Thanks. So, 
So I, so I, my question, Matt, is what do you think about the defense so far, um, what you've seen in camp? And, you know, we, we've kind of got excited about the defense over the last couple of years. And, and really, when you look at it, they really haven't been, been able to beat a top-notch quarterback or a top-notch offense. So with that being said, I mean, what what, what do you think the outcome is going to be this year? Because they really don't have a lot of tomato cans on the schedule this year, right? So the way I look at camp, so this is, I'm about to do something that I was very uh, critical of anyone who would not do what I'm about to say. I, it always drove me nuts when I would cover every training camp practice and I was, you know, doing the work because I was, you know, working for the pre, for the pregame stuff and then working for the Patriots, Patriots uh, broadcast network stuff there watched every snap of every guy's thing all throughout training camp every every snap he took and i'm gonna tell you this is what i think of camp so i have to be super super you know full disclosure here i have watched one camp practice so, <laughs> so, okay. the, well you, we so, can go by the camp practice that's all yeah so exactly so i'm gonna take <laughs> this two hour segment i saw and i'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen for the next five months no i hated that shit when i was uh, the actual analyst doing it and i hear someone else who i knew wasn't there give some broad-based thing about what's gonna happen and how they bent what i can do uh, the best i can do is from a fan's perspective is look at how they put the roster together and because you know there's going to be lots of different ups and downs are they weathered for it by depth one thing i'm not quite certain uh and we have to sort of see what what style they choose i guess you know we're in a i'll make this point because you're watching how sort of the back end is growing with a lot more of these uh uh linebackers that are more safety bodies not even counting mac wilson you know he's a lighter guy mac wilson's you know, a smaller guy than Rodney Harrison was. And, you know, he played no linebacker. He's on the field every dime package, every nickel package. He's a sideline to sideline guy passing situation. But you get the Kyle Duggars of the world. You get the, oh, tell me the name, Marte. Uh, Marte Mapu. Lead. Yeah, Mapu, exactly. I, I didn't want to see, and I'm not even doing TV anymore. So I, <laughs> I know enough not to trip into the I don't know a name thing. But uh, the point of it is he's unusually slender, right? Max unusually light. Uh, safeties are unusually large. Like Duggar looks like he could slide over and play Will. They're really a mismatch, or a, a mishmash, excuse me, of body types, even with Keon. You know, this is a guy who's, I don't know, they're calling him DN, but he's a 280 plus that can, has a frame that looks like he can hold 290 in a minute. Um, that is technically an end, but, you know, you'll see him at a three technique like we used to see Trey Flowers who's now back, obviously. Matt Judon is more like a 270, but you can see Matt over a guard in a minute. It's it's a roster made up of a ton of versatile guys, but it doesn't have a bunch of 330s, right? So they don't they look built to defend today's NFL, but the Barmore is kind of your big uh, and he had some health issues last year. He's been incredibly impressive when he's been on the field, but it was the first time where we saw a little interruption to the to the ascent kind of thing, so we're all hoping he has a great run. But, you know, Davis, I guess, would be your only other big. So I, the reason I'm going down this route is they look really well suited to face teams that might come out with two tight ends or a back that'll hurt you because they've got the big, athletic, versatile linebacker types and safeties that are essentially that. But the bloodier nose, build it big, 
they they're looking thinner in in that world. And maybe in, in candor, maybe you don't come up against that much in today's NFL. But that would be my thing. I, I think they've really built a group that's pretty deep. When you run up against a passing group that's four or five deep, right? Yeah, they look almost. They look like they'd almost encourage you. Hey, great! You're going to throw it 65 times. Uh, <laughs> we have a really deep and relatively flat. You know, it's not like they have a star of star like a Jalen Ramsey type at corner and then a big drop off. It's more we've drafted a really high, high uh, ceiling type guy uh, in our rookie in Christian. And, you know, the, the trio of Joneses are all sort of medium high performers. They're super versatile to play in and out. So it, it's, it's an intriguing group. What are they going to do? I don't know, but I, it, it's clear that they've kind of built them a very certain way, but it does look like that kind of way is one that'll really excel in certain matchups and can be a little more vulnerable than others. Okay. And then what do you, what do you think about how the, the defense is? I mean, the last couple of years, they've, they've had trouble against good passers and, you know, good offensive teams. What, what what do you what could what do you think is the cause of that over the last couple of years? Well, I mean, it just depends on what we're talking about. Like they, I mean, they 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 often don't get credit for when they play really really well against great offenses. If that great offense didn't have a great quarterback, and I think that's unfair. I think the Detroit Lions are a great example. Last year, at the time, both pre and post Patriots, they're putting up thirty against everyone. Right. Uh, the Patriots have an excellent outing. They had some basically. Blank them, but because it's golf at quarterback, those you know those right, high right. scoring things somehow don't count. I don't, I don't get that. Um, they did have a, a run of luck last year, absolutely. You know, catching Tua banged up or missing sort of those games, and then having you know they just get you know bombed on by the Josh Allen game. So that sort of accentuates this particular angle. Yeah, um, yeah I just think at the end of the day, you play, you play. Um, I put more stock in where offenses rank rather than who the quarterback is. So if they, you know, you can have some pretty mediocre offenses that would have a high-end quarterback. Like, uh, rather than example, I, I guess I, I'm more at the thing, if they have a really balanced group, they run the ball well, they score high, they've got the 12th-ranked quarterback, whatever. But those teams, if you if you shut them out, you did something, you know. Okay. But uh, I guess we're in that world where you have to shut out or have some big, you know, performance against a – and they're going to leave high to change yeah. the to change the perception, I guess. All right, thanks. You, you remembered? Uh, I mean, you mentioned um, running the ball well, and I had mentioned Ramondre Stevenson before. I think yeah. he's you know could be a real bright spot for this team. But you know, in the draft, we didn't address tackle, and it seems to be a bit of a bit of a uh, what do, I don't know what the right word is uh, patchwork group for the offensive line. Um, do you think that's a problem? Do you think they're going to come around? Do you think they're still waiting for? Dante Skarnecchia to come back? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll say this. I think that I'm of the very of the strong opinion uh, that the story of last year was pretty poorly told. That's that's my view, and it's my personal view, and it's a lot of uh, a lot of I guess behind the scenes information that isn't sort of how how the, sort of the story of 2022 went down for them uh, offensively and. There's a couple things I think everyone should recall rather than who was coaching who and what system and stuff. And it was games missed at offensive line, which tracks as good as just about any stat. When you see an offense take a drop down in their rankings or take a drop down in their points per game, when you are 
near or at the top of games lost from the your, your starting crew relative to to what actually happens over the course of 17 those teams not the patriots this isn't a patriots set it's just a football yeah. stat when you when those teams endure that they fall off it doesn't matter whatever the hell else is going on it just doesn't that's how it works and they endured that last year i was not a huge fan of the notion of i thought trent brown was one of the best right tackles in football i thought he was absolutely you know he had games two years ago and then back three years ago where this guy was was winning you know not just effective he was really really moving people and knocking people out uh, they made that decision to move him to left, and I thought that put a, a right tackle out of position in Isaiah Wynn, who just looked like his feet were twisted underneath him. So then you, Iowa, Isaiah gets injured. Marcus Cannon, who was ostensibly retired, has to come back out and fill in. Connor McDonald, I hope I'm saying McDermott, that right. McDermott, McDermott, McDermott. McDermott, excuse me, McSomething. Connor McDermott <laughs> yeah. is back. And uh, he's actually done a nice job. I don't want to bag on a guy just because he had a, you know, not not top draft pick kind of profile. It's taken a while to hit. He did a decent job there down the stretch. And I think he's actually someone they trust pretty well. But the point of it was their preference, right? Their, their ro- roll it out group. They were with them there at a legal level. So, you know, David getting banged up a little bit. So um, remember that when you judge any offense. And then the other part is how incredibly dependent and how efficient they were two years ago at running the football and how that kind of went away. The two-headed thing, the Damian Harris and Ramonde as a rookie was was really the bread and butter of that group. And when you take that away, you're not protecting well, you don't have that sort of core aspect, good luck, right? It doesn't matter about system and calls. So when I look at what they've got now with the offensive line, it's really, really hard to judge them uh, or to – you know, I guess to make a prediction because we don't know who the hell is going to be out there. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's been one of those 20, you know, 2023 training camps where most of the top guys haven't been participating. Mike Uwinu, I've got a, a, as high of an opinion of him as, as any Patriots offensive lineman here in a long, long time. Trent's been, you know, has just kind of started to, to participate again. David's even missed a little time. Um, and Cole's been out. I mean, so how can one even fashion a guess about what they'll be like? You know, and in today's world, that means maybe all five of them show up on opening day and they all play 17 games and we look like stupid for even yeah. for even doubting it because that's just kind of how this stuff goes. So I think you need to know you, you 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 tell me this. You tell me they're back into a top 10 or top five of games played expected at their offensive line spots and they put together a pretty solid group on all together and, and the story changes. If their O-line is beat up and misses a bunch of time, they're going to struggle. They will. Um, now, that doesn't speak to what they've got coming up to the system. I will never bag on guys like that because we've had the Brandon Gorns and Tom Ashworth and Russ Hochsteins and guys from Ira and Dan Connolly and, and Wendell. And a lot of these guys have become really, really solid players who had really uh, – you know, non-famous or whatever profiles right. prior. So there may be two or three of those guys that we don't yet know that are going to contribute and will do a good job. They might be rookies this year or last. Um, but I wouldn't use any of that information to fashion a guess. I wouldn't go out and gamble on it, you know, <laughs> right, because right. it's it's pretty it's pretty unpredictable <laughs> stuff. And it is the most important thing. If you're going to guess how someone's going to do, tell me how they're protecting, tell me how they're running the football. Well, the other stat that I like to look at is turnovers. So how, how much time did you guys spend, you know, stripping the ball, learning how to recover, special teams, that kind of thing? Uh, how much time did they spend working on that kind of stuff, the turnovers? 
Bob, I would say I thought we were, you know, this is more perception, may not be reality. I don't know. But I, I was always of the mind, uh, you know, just chit-chatting with other players and you, friends on other teams and people you meet over the course of time in the NFL that we were pretty ball awareness focused. You know, Romeo Cornell was really big into that. Mangini got into it big when he tried to sort of dip his toe into the analytics of, you know, ball possession and, you know, ball out and all that kind of stuff. But I felt like, you know, Bill was more of a forefront guy in the importance of turnover differential and really hyper-focus in that area and actually building drills where, you know, we, you get yelled at if you're just wrapping up and didn't have at least a little ball awareness, especially second man and not even necessarily the first guy. So right. we were coached to be aware, right? That that was a big part of it. Now, I say all that, and I was a youth football coach here in, in, in the KP system, the King Phillips system over here in Rentham. Uh all throughout youth football, out throughout high school, college, uh, it, it's it's become a hyper focus. Maybe even to the point where you know you're a little too far over the hill, and it's to the detriment where it's so make the play that you sometimes give up the tackle. So, uh, you know they've they've got guys like Kyle Duggar who has just a knack, right? Like you don't you don't you're not going to get it through through college measurables, but he has a nose for the ball has that sort of awareness to find it in a pile even while breaking down and get the punch out or get the strip or time it right to, to pick off the ball. Um, you know, Peppers is another guy. I know he's sort of in a complimentary role. Phillips is a little bit that way. But these are all really ball-aware, ball-punch, hit and and shed tackle type guys. Or not, not shed tackle, but they're always sort of stripping and pulling down at the same time. Right, um, right. I don't think it's necessarily they've been told more. Sometimes you get guys that are just more wired that way, but it certainly seems like this team uh, spends a lot of time on it. Yeah, Nick, Nick was was good with that. Rob Nickovich and some of his yeah. other guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. So, so I guess the next question I would have for you, Matt, is so today they signed uh, Trey Flowers. Yeah. Does that speak to when you see that signing? So, I mean, I, I have two ways of looking at it. Obviously, they're looking down the road to kind of, start getting that leadership group of the next century, right? So they need to have somebody that was in the locker room with the previous previous success that they had winning Super Bowls. But are you kind of – are you sometimes – do you look at their signings and say – because we know they have the money. I think they're number 31 in cash spending in the league. Like they're not – they don't go out and get that marquee name or that top free agent – so, I mean, you know, you talk about Flowers, um, you know, uh, Schuster kind of fell in their lap. He wasn't really going to get a lot of money anyway, so it wasn't like he was a highly sought-after free agent. I mean, they basically, I think if you ask them, they got him at a bargain. So what do you think the Flowers signing speaks more to a void in the locker room and having that leader in there? Because, I mean, how much do you think he would really have left in the tank at this point? I mean, he's 29, I believe, uh, Scott. I'm not. I hope I'm right on that. 28 or 29. I think he's young. I think he's younger than people realize because he was a young out of college guy, and he's, yep. you know, had his huge years here, had some good years in Detroit, but has been banged up for the last couple. I believe he just played four games last year, if I read that right. Yeah. But no, I would never make big locker room type sweeping analysis from my perspective, anyway. On a first week of August signing, first week of August signings are just about. Uh, you know, opportunity, you know, may, maybe the guy, you know, it's a guy who needed to show that he could get ready. 
maybe he wasn't when, you know, I don't know this and I shouldn't say this about Trey. He's, he's a super solid dude and I'm sure they'll be thrilled to have him back in the locker room. But it, it, these are the kind of signings where that happened and now you're certain he's there necessarily on day one. I mean, I'm sure he's got to come in and prove health and, 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 and show that he's still got it and all those kinds of things. I think what he also has going for him, though, is, is a familiar with the familiarity with the system, but also versatility. Mentioned, you know, Keon earlier, you know, sort of the big, the oversized end. Same with Dietrich Wise, kind of plays sort of all the positions. They don't have yep. a, there is no real Vince Wilfork here. There is no like, you know, going to be definitely guard to guard and nothing else. It's it's an eclectic group of guys. Even Lawrence Guy was really kind of a 3-4 DN body, but all of a sudden look around, he might be one of the bigs. But yeah. what the reason I mentioned all that is Trey is kind of known for that, right? Like Trey's whole thing was he's not super tall. He has good length. Um, he is 265-ish. He's not a, a huge, huge guy, right. Right. but he's lining over guards and not getting knocked off the ball. So they probably look like him as an excellent depth guy that can come in and maybe, you know, just game well in passing situations and pick up some stuff quickly and give them a little extra bump. I hope I'm saying his name right. Is it? Ooh, ooh, uh, see, I shouldn't have done it. Daniel, <laughs> the, uh, other defensive lineman that's kind of a passer specialist guy, youngish. Daniel Ukulele or something. Yeah, but my. my I thought you were trying to say Diego's last name. I was getting concerned. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I, again, I, I'm I'm breaking every cardinal cardinal rule here. But don't but, worry, you know, no, don't worry about it. It's a laid back podcast. Don't worry. There you go. So, but the point of it is, that's you know, an up and coming guy, even you know, undraft free agent guy last year that makes the roster as a D lineman. Like those are the people that you're possibly pushing on or off the roster with the addition of Trey, or at least changing roles. I don't think a guy ever like that comes in at this stage and is is going to sort of jump to the front of the locker room or me, you know, be any part of culture change. He's just a, a good dude they trust that might be able to give him something, and we'll see. Okay, that was a good good lead into my question, actually. You know, because you had mentioned about uh, basically they talk Slater back here, and I think more for what he can do for the team off the field than what he can do on. Not that he's still not a good player, but and then you know Drew Don being a good locker room guy, um, you know, with the loss of Devin McCourty do you think there's you know in in that one practice you were at was there someone that stepped up <laughs> or who do you who I do saw you think? a non-padded practice so even calling <laughs> it a practice I don't think that counts does it <laughs> but do, do you have any do you have any thoughts on who might be a leadership guy like I know uh uh Dietrich is a is a great uh guy in the locker room but he's not real vocal you know so is there someone because I know you had a lot of them back in your, your time but anyone you can see that fits that mold I don't know the guys like that to say one thing I will say that is you never want to forget that there are guys who aren't big out of the locker room personalities that are big in the locker room. James White's a great example. Wasn't a teammate of mine, but he was a guy who held a, had a lot of clout in the locker room. He was a guy that a lot of guys looked to, but he wasn't super talkative, right? So it's not just pick the two or three big personalities that speak the most or most sort of, uh, you know, over the top in their quotes or whatever, sort of give the leader look and, get, yeah. and do, more, do more of the sort of talking. There will always be guys who are, are impactful locker guys, the, the guys you need who, who who don't necessarily have the big personalities. One thing I'll say here too, that I, I'm curious about, this is more just sort of the, the fan in me part. Most of the guys that are in those leadership roles were in that locker room last year. And 
Bill was always, uh, you know, big at saying this, you know, a guy, he'd usually say this actually more about coaches or star players on other teams, but you know, that guy in like 10 months time didn't somehow forget how to coach. Right. Or that player who's, you know, Jason Taylor, just name a name. That was a big name guy. You may have watched his last game and think you got something on him now, but don't expect that you won't get his best. And I kind of wonder that with this group relative to the, you know, the locker room, because I mean, there's the crazy Raiders game, you know, name a few of them where it was incredibly unpatriot-like, right? And so we're having all this, you know, this August talk about leadership and personalities and all that kind of stuff. Usually that's what's supposed to weather you through the boneheaded stuff, right? right. And I use the analogy of don't expect that that guy's not the same guy. Uh, you know, those guys kind of got to get this back to the air quote Patriot way kind of thing, just in that we don't make dumb mistakes, guys. Like we may lose, but we don't beat ourselves. Right. And it's not finding some new guy it, it, in some of the instances, you know, some of those leaders made those mistakes too. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges getting back to not being a team that beats yourself. Right. And yeah, you can't just necessarily say it was guys that we got out of here or coaches who aren't here. That's all BS. Like it's, there's a lot of the leaders that are still awesome dudes, strong personalities, well-trusted by organization and coaching staff who've got to play better this year. And I expect will, but uh, they, they do have to do it. Yep. So as a coach now, I mean, are there lessons that you share that you've learned from the coaches like Belichick that you pass on to your kids <laughs> and uh, what's happening in, in the high school world and football world? Yeah. So I do not coach high school now. I got I got my fill of it sixth, seventh, and eighth grade youth football, and I thought what that taught me is that I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I turn now at this stage of my career into basically you know like a personal coach for your own son, right, or any of us. But it still is really off putting. Off putting is wrong word. It's, it it still kind of knocks me back a little bit when I pull up to King Philip and. You know, all the other dads that are picking kids up and everyone's, I coach Chad, oh, my coach Chad. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just mad, you know. Uh, but I, what I'll say, though, that, that Bill did share, and it was a cool little point. Uh, it was when we were doing preseason games, uh, you know, the preseason game coverage, and I haven't done those since COVID. So, yeah, this rolls back to probably when I was coaching the sixth grade team. And we were asking him, you know, hey, coach, I'm, you know, it's this is sort of the herding cats kind of stage of youth football. Uh, what do you do? You know, like what, if there's just a couple things that I got to whittle this down to that are critically important, you know, what can help me help them be successful? Um, and he was really insistent on putting your best players at the edge of the line, which I thought was kind of unique. You know, I grew up kind of thinking, you know, your best player was probably either the free uh, defense is probably the free safety or the middle linebacker. You know, your best player on offense is probably the running back or quarterback. You don't really throw the ball that much. You know, maybe if he's a big kid, he's a left tackle, whatever. But Bill was really like, take your best athletes and put them at the edge of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and defense. You know, fill in around that. You'll figure it out. But it's it's critically important that you not only set edges, but that you pressure from the outside. Because if you're, you're poor on the edges, you're going to get crushed. So I actually made a a singular personnel change from a guy that I liked at a different spot to just say, yeah, you're one of our best. You have to be on the edge. So you always kind of felt comfortable that the, you know, the play would stay 
uh, right. relatively contained. So uh, that was the best news I got. Now, my son is playing uh, defensive end. I would call him more along the lines of uh, he's a non-pass rushing defensive end. He's a run-stopping defensive end. <laughs> we'll call one of those types. So not a turn the corner, more of a press and shed tackle kid. So um, we share that quality. I probably gave him that quality. I was never a very good pass rusher myself. So the other follow-up is what are the things that you've learned now that you're self-employed and get your own business that you learn from football about teamwork and discipline and things like that, leadership? Right. Well, I'll tell you this. So, you know, it, it's really easy in a great season. So take one of those championship years, right? How we're going to remember it is the 7 to 10 or whatever high notes, right? You'll pick out these few games and the big moments in those few games. Then you'll go to the the three games to glory run, right? And that's usually the story of the season, right? It's these 10 awesome things happened to you. Remember those 10 awesome things. That's how you got there. Congratulations. Enjoy your ring. That's, I, I mean, I my first year of owning uh, my rub company, Rub Smoke Love, uh, has those 10 things, right? I've got, you know, we've just been open for a little, just about hit a year now. Uh, in 130 stores, you know, we sold thousands of bottles of this stuff. The brand's growing quickly. Uh, you know, I could I could list you my 10 things. We've been on Amazon. We're a 4.8 reviewed uh, uh, Amazon's choice or whatever product on, on Amazon. And that's nice. just been up there for six hours. So the point of this is like, oh, gosh, that sounds great, Matt. Must have just flew through the year. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> like, there <laughs> There were so many moments where, you know, you're making a tactical decision. You made the wrong one, stressful weeks about this, that, and the other, and all sort of the mechanisms of, of, you know, running supply chains and, you know, IP questions and manufacturing stuff that's new to me and brokering food and just, you know, it's a complex thing. So I've got a great bullet list of accomplishments, but why I feel a little better here is all the crap I've been through in the first year <laughs> yeah. and here with an opportunity to really ready to grow more. So that's, that's kind of the part you cherish after ha- actually having gone through it. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll start the final round of questions. So th- this being the untold Patriot stories podcast, we have to ask the question. So <clears throat> give us a story that nobody would have heard unless they listened to this podcast. It can be something funny. It can be just, a memorable, a memorable story from your playing days, a game, a practice, uh, whatever. I'm going to see. This is really dicey. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Um, oh, no. Yeah, that answered that. No, I shouldn't. Okay, so on the wall, right. <laughs> the camera, right, Yeah, is this uh, – this is – ha-ha, funny. This isn't the you know, the greatest story in history, but it's uh, it's something that got a lot of laughs when it happened. Uh, there's a – there's a framed picture from the Times Picayune. I hope I'm saying that right. That's New Orleans newspaper. So this was after the uh, obviously the win, the the first one, the, the when we beat the greatest show on turf, that whole thing. So there would have been this sort of longstanding thing. Well, not that long because I guess there it was just two years with me. But I had had this sort of uh, running joke about how I would couldn't jump. Right. It's sort of like the white man can't jump kind of deal. And we <laughs> kind of joke with me that the threshold for linebackers and running backs or the line of respectability 
is 30 inches. You got to have a 30 inch bird. You know, having a 29 inch bird is supposed to be embarrassing, right? So I, I for you know, I'd be 28 and a half. We do our testing all off season with me and the strength coaches. And I didn't, I, I tested below 30 to get into the NFL. I was still bumping up against that and couldn't get it to go. So this picture uh, shows a, a shot and it was on the, the cover the next morning of me jumping up in the air. My legs are up almost, you know, to my ears and I'm <laughs> celebrating as Adam's kick goes through. Right. And I remember uh, the next morning. So we have the big party at the Fairmont after obviously it's, it's just a huge party. We're also happy. We beat the Grams. We won the Super Bowl. It's the unexpected happens. Uh, and then, you know, you come up in the morning, you're packing up your stuff. It's been a crazy long night and you're going to head back home to, to Foxborough. And, you know, you got this, there's like a stack of papers on everyone's bed. So everyone's sort of for memorabilia is trying to swoop them up. And, uh, I grabbed mine and I had that stack under my arms and sort of the luggage and you're, you know, disheveled and suits <laughs> wet and, you know, you're just getting on the, you're getting on the bus. Right. And I ran into Bill, um, the bus that I got on to head to the airport was coach Belichick was, was sitting at the front of the left side there. And I kind of ran into him, you know, he's kind of high five and everybody as they go by. And he kind of grabbed me and said, Matt, did you see the, did you see the cover of the, of the newspaper this morning? And I was like, yeah, I got it. I actually had it here under my arm. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we got to retest that 40, right? When, or excuse me, not that 40. We got to retest that bird test, right? When we get back, because that is 30. And he was like, Matt, I'll give it to you. I think you're a 30 now. <laughs> yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Nice. Billy That's, Hoyle it's 40, but it sits on my desk. And it's it's. I see it every day when I'm here working. So it's always kind of a reminder that with the right amount of adrenaline, I could overcome my limitations. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, awesome. the fun, that's the fun stuff. I, you know, we're talking about more of the current Patriots today, but you know, ho hopefully we'll have you on again because I want to hear about uh, the streaker. That you, <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Is there any of that stuff in the room? Oh, yeah, there is. That one I <laughs> so I, I guess my last um, thing is, do you, do you have a, you know, we'll make it easy. Vegas has them over under at seven and a half wins. Do you, where, where do you see them? Where do you see them landing? Yeah, I, th I think they'll be over. And I, I think it's not some sort of prediction relative. It, I'll, it's a it's a wager I'd be willing to make. And I think that's actually, I lived my last couple of years at Ness in there, nothing but wagering shows, right? So yeah. Yeah. It, kind of, it kind of changes. Pretty popular now. It's so easy to do the, oh, I think there'll be great stuff unless you have to sort of put a number to it and put a yeah. wager to it. But I, I think they're definitely, I think you can comfortably... I think you can probably say they're going to be a good team. That doesn't even that, that doesn't necessarily guarantee a playoffs. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with championship runs. But this is a strong roster, and I think people get a little too carried away with non-championship sort of contender kind of status. And if you're below that, then you get a little consumed with what the schedule looks like. And I did that in folly as an analyst, and I've learned that lesson because every year the strength of schedule is related to the year prior. Right. It isn't this year's teams. So every year this happens. It happened every year I would be asked to do sort of a, at least through October uh, prediction. The team that was the beast a year ago might be a nine and eighteen themselves, right? Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, a lot of those teams that you expect to be monsters and uh, aren't. So I get it that the first stretch looks terrible on paper. It does. It looks yeah. really, really difficult. But if Philly comes back and has a you know regression to the mean kind of season, 
and that is a winnable game. All of a sudden you go, okay, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't as you know daunting as I thought. That's not me putting them in deep in the playoffs. It's not me putting them in the Super Bowl. But it just seems like too good of a roster that seems to have learned the lessons from a year ago to be bad. Doesn't mean they're going to be great. But uh, seven and a half is a modest enough number, especially on a 17-game schedule, to uh, to take that over. So I'll probably have to edit this out, but have you talked to Robert Kraft about being a spokesperson for your rub? You know what? I uh, <laughs> we have not had the discussion. I actually spoke to 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 Robert about the rubs. Oh, last event I saw him. I don't recall exactly where it was. Back in the spring, but we were we were talking a little bit about it, and I was talking about how the beefcake was, you know, really good on lamb. We were talking about sort of unusual cuts of meat, and uh, he and his wife and I were kind of having a discussion about what they would like it on. And, you know, the gold bark is for bacon. And, you know, I love the pulled pork and all the basics, the ribs and stuff with that. But what like eclectic thing do I have that I put it on? And then we started to get into the beefcake talk and it was like, yeah, it's good. on It's, 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 it's phenomenal on burgers and steaks and all the normal stuff. But, you know, it's really good on spare ribs or you can do a great veggie mix with the beefcake that's out of this world. And we were back and forth. And then that's how the lamb thing came up. And I was like, I'm not a big lamb guy. But then I went and did, I think I did Easter. I don't remember. I did my first lamb yeah. that I probably <laughs> cooked in 10 years. And I did it with a beefcake on on suggestion. I don't know if it's necessarily from Robert, but from that conversation, it was like, I'm a lamb guy now, not a mint guy. I can't go that route, but uh, no mint mint jelly or anything like that. But uh, he, he did give me some input or at least push me towards uh, some cuts, some different uh, exploration with nice. my stuff. Open your mind a little bit. Yeah, there and it I, is, I'll, there I'll, is. I'll give you a plug. I uh, it was there first day of training camp. You you were set up, and I had some of the bacon. It was fantastic. Thank you, man. That, Appreciate so. that. Yeah, that's, that's one of our best. And I think the more and more of these demos we've done, we've done maybe a dozen now. We've got – about that many more to go to get through the summer and the rest of the year, but uh, it, you you, work, you start to find out where your lane is, and it's easy. Bacon, yeah. <laughs> burgers. Yeah. Who doesn't we like do bacon? butter burgers and we do yeah. bacon. You bacon can, burgers, course, bacon you burgers. Crush, you can crush, you know, a brisket <laughs> if you want to with this stuff, and we'll knock it out of the park. But for a lot of us, it's just how to make something that most people make good exceptional. That's that's what we're here to do. Well, let's just get one more plug in. How do people find it? This uh, beefcake and gold gold buck. So the company's called Rub Smoke Love. So rubsmokelove.com is the website. So you can get it there with any two bottles. It's going to be free shipping. I, we, we send this stuff priority. Our fulfillment center gets them out in a huge hurry. So they'll be there quick. We're also on Amazon. So if you're a Prime member, order them. They come basically the next morning. Uh, for the big store list that we mentioned, man, it just mentioned, it just matters what town you live in, Bob. Uh, you can go to rubsmokelove.com and we have a tab there that says where to buy. And it's got the map all over the region. We're in all the big Y's, you know, there's 70 of those stores all around Mass and Connecticut. Uh, we are in the McKinnon's chains for those North Shore people. Uh, you know, we're in the Trukies chain for more South Shore folks. Uh, we're in a bunch of the Obishans throughout Massachusetts. So you can go to Obishan Hardware if you're shopping for gardening supplies or paint or whatever, you're picking up pellets for your grill, go ahead and grab a bottle of that as well. So, uh, we're all over the place and that's kind of been the fun part. So I'm sure having that many clients, that many other for stores we work with, it's always sort of a trap to mention which ones we're in. Cause I, I'm sure I just forgot 50 and I want to apologize to those folks for not mentioning you as well, <laughs> but yeah. it's the trap. 
Well, you're in the Amazon and you, you get your own website. So that's, that's definitely the first places to go. Right. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, you know, hopefully we can have you on again and uh, talk a little bit more football, but appreciate you making the time to be on with us. It was a great, uh, great podcast and a lot of great information from you. So thank you for, uh, for coming on. Thanks for having me guys. I had a blast. All right. Have a good night, Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to Untold Patriot Stories with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher. Please follow us on whatever platform you download your podcasts and be sure to tell your friends.